All right, what up, what up? Episode number 34 of the Stiff Shots podcast. In memory of our fallen hero, Kobe Bryant, we're going to be coming at you live and also previously recorded talking about When Worlds Collide, presented by NXT and Power Man 5000, and also the Royal Rumble, presented by the disgraced Prince Harry and Meghan Markle from the, not the Apprentice, what was she on? That other show with the briefcase? Money in the Bank. Money in the Bank. Who wants to be a millionaire? No, it was uh, Deal or No Deal with uh, Bobby's World, Howie Mandel. I love Bobby's World. For real? I, well, in 92, 93, maybe even 94. Yeah, man, that guy was cool. And I didn't realize that it was supposed to be, like, based on him when I was a little kid. Because, you know, Bobby and Howie Mandel don't look anything alike back then. But now they kind of look exactly alike. Yeah. There was this clerk, like, store clerk, that worked at the independent record store called None of the Above. And he looked like comic book guy from The Simpsons, only more uh, metal, long beard, fat guy. So we used to go to this store. Uh, two or three times a week and buy, you know, dumbass compact discs. One time we go in there and he's like mouth open, drooling, holding his chin in both of his hands, leaning over, just mesmerized. And we look up and he's watching fucking Bobby's World. So we're like, hey, man. He's like, oh, hey, hey, what's up? What's up? So from that point on, nicknamed by John Moore, that guy's name was Bobby's World. He's dead now. <laughs> Not John Moore. Bobby's World's dead. Yeah, John Moore's still alive and receiving pictures from me of my 311 Hive newsletter from 1997 that I found in a box somewhere. But oh, when, you started, when you started to say independent record store, I thought you meant like when I was in seventh grade and you needed to have an independent skateboard trucks hoodie if you wanted to be anything in this world. But you meant that it was independently owned. Also, I have uh, still to this day because I'm uh, what's it called when you like can't get rid of anything? Um cool as hell i yeah. still have my uh, bobby's world mcdonald's uh toys where his little bicycle becomes like a spaceship or uh, a different vehicle that isn't a bicycle oh that sounds like my vehicles my vehicles <laughs> become hunks of metal stuck on the side of the road with no plates or illegal plates yeah yeah you know how like people say that uh they're information phones are designed to like stop working after a year or two so then they have to go get a new one mm-hmm yeah, my car is like that, except it never worked before I ever turned the crank because it was uh, manufactured before Crazy Town released their hit single, Butterfly, in 1999. Hey, never works. Sounds like my bandmates. Oh, man. Except ah. not, only, not only never practices, but literally has never had a real job because one of them is 12 and the other one is a giant baby. But listen, my name is Ryan Rangro, and with me, as always, is Rick Jimenez. How you doing, Rick? How's that car cruising along? <laughs> hey, man, this is the best part of my day. I was shitty all day because everything bad happens all the time. But now I'm having a good time because we're talking about wrestling. And also, uh, I think you're not mad at me anymore for spoiling the four-way <laughs> cruiserweight match from Worlds Collide. With... I couldn't believe that you sent me a full-blown <laughs> spoiler of a Dude, I, I know, and I, I do know better. And I assumed you were watching, but also I could have even covered up because what I sent you was, if anybody had seen, the amazing use of Photoshop of Triple H with his arm around, now we all know, the new Cruiserweight champion, Devlin, 
And we all know that, you know, Devlin's body's just all fucking housed as hell. <laughs> he, he he rocks, but man, his his body just defies logic. So the Photoshop, his head was just subtly too big, kind of like a Funko Pop figure. So I saw that and I was like, something's fucked up about this. I was like, oh, his goddamn Funko head. And I was like, oh my God, it's so funny. So then I'm reading the Twitter feed and a lot of people didn't understand that it was a fucked up Photoshop. They were just like, oh, what a great match. So I sent it to you instead of just sending you the picture. I just send you the entire thread, not realizing, <laughs> oh, I'm sending a spoiler more. So I'm like, oh, you got to see this thing. Somebody is shittier than we are as far as, you know, people's feelings. Um, but I could have covered it up be like, oh, dude, it's not a fucking spoiler. It's just a funny Photoshop. Him having the Cruiserweight title is part of the joke. But instead, I was like, oh, my God, I'm sorry. Ah! Well, let's go ahead and talk about this match now. And then we'll go backwards to, to okay. Finn and Dragunov. So Jordan Devlin is the new cruiserweight champion. Uh, he defeated Angel Garza, Isaiah Scott, and Travis Banks, who I don't, up until they called his move the Kiwi Crusher halfway through this match, I had zero idea who Travis Banks was. I thought he was the drummer for Blink-182, but that's a different guy. And I don't remember him even being in this like scene of the cruiserweight scene. I think that's because we kind of miss the majority of the weekly NXT UK show. And we get so much Sasha Banks on SmackDown. So, like, we don't need to see her legitimate dad from the Bushwhackers. Yeah, because I also don't remember Travis Banks on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air either, you know? No, but I did hear a new song the other day that Alyssa showed me where somebody references Hillary Banks. And I was like, oh, that's the best part of the song. And that was the part of the song that she didn't get. Oh, yeah, that's cool, because she, she wasn't alive yet. Yeah. Fresh Prince aired. Yeah, Zygote yeah, cool. as hell. You know what's interesting about uh, a direct comparison from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air to this show, which just completely jumping around, and one, at one point we'll talk about one of these matches, is famously uh, Will Smith in the first season of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, because he wasn't really an actor. He had been a... Uh, a rapper, and then he just randomly got drafted into this TV show. He would mouth his actors' lines back to them while they're saying them. So, like when Uncle Phil's talking to him, he'll be mouthing what Uncle Phil's supposed to say because that's how he remembered the lines. Oh, that's Jesse Ventura style, right? And so, uh, your boy James Drake, whenever Zach Gibson is doing the promo with the Broser weights halfway through the show, is <laughs> totally trying to mouth all the things that Zach Gibson <laughs> saying. It's so weird. Yeah, I noticed that. Totally, totally weird. So anyway, Jordan Devlin's the Cruiserweight champion. They got a new belt. Um, it's now got, I thought it was like a navy blue strap, but I was told it's a black strap. And so that means that Enzo Amore's legacy is over, and now the era of Jordan Devlin begins. And they gotta be probably the same size, right? Uh, Height-wise, maybe. Talent-wise, their worlds collide apart. Yeah, because Enzo Amore knows how to speak words into a microphone. Ah. But this, this match was uh, was cool. It was a lot of fun. It didn't wear out its welcome too much. It was just uh, a little over 10 minutes. I really am all in on Angel Garza. I think that dude just really rocks. And it's funny because when he first debuted on, I think he was in that breakout tournament, right? I was like, uh, man, I think doing the tearaway pants thing is cool, but other than that, this guy's kind of like snooze fest to me, and that's because I'm a stupid person that doesn't know how to think properly, because that guy, I, I 
I couldn't be more behind Angel Garza being the world's heavyweight tag team women's cruiserweight champion. He is really fucking cool. You know what I think about him? WWE, for a long time, it seems, has been fixated on, we need our new Latino star. Um, Since Eddie Guerrero passed, they were obviously already pushing Rey Mysterio, or Rey Mysterio was earning his, his due because he's fucking Rey Mysterio. But it went from Eddie had the hold on the top Latino wrestling spot, then it went to Rey, and then they've tried transitioning. They tried Sin Cara, they tried Kalisto quickly once they realized Sin Cara 2, 3, 4, or 75 wasn't clicking like they'd thought. Um, Alberto? Del Rio was in that spot. I, I, Del Rio, I think, is amazing. I think he could have really, you know, uh, he could have achieved what they wanted him to achieve in the spot if he would have ever stuck around long enough to make it happen. And they were also, Del Rio is a natural heel. So he was always in that heel role. I think once he went full fledged face with WWE, he would have really, really taken off. But either way, they're always looking for the new Latino star. Um, in my opinion, they have it again with Andrade, but it seems like they're trying to use Andrade to more or less get over Umberto uh, Carrillo. But in my opinion, Garza is the one that everybody should keep their eye on, which is also funny being that Garza and Umberto are related and Umberto is Garza's real name and his cute little baby cousin stole his name. Garza is is the Latino star they that I think the machine should get behind. But he was great in this match just like he is essentially in every one of his matches. And I thought this match overall was just absolutely fucking awesome their four-way interaction the entire time i thought was great and uh over the past couple of weeks fuck man i was just 100 percent turned around on devlin i hated him for so long started to come around on him that match he had with tyler Bate was one of my favorites of the year already even though it's only january but this this was another stellar match and i think it's awesome that not only devlin has the title but they're putting the title on a NXT UK guy. NXT UK has really stepped up within the past, you know, couple of months of being just as worthy of all the accolades that NXT United States of America television network gets. Yeah, and I also like the idea of the NXT UK brand having like a secondary title because, you know, NXT domestic has the North American Championship, so they already have kind of the two belts that they pe- they peat for it. They, <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know how people say that, that they peat for it. Uh, Amanda Pete from the movie Road Trip. No, that's actually A&B Smart. What's Amanda Pete from? Peter Vandenberg. Yeah, oh man, I wish. Ariel Vandenberg. <laughs> so they have now two belts over at NXT UK, and I think those uh, will be some really exciting matchups. I really immediately, as soon as he won it, I was like, man, I can't wait to see Noam Dar versus Devlin for this championship. I think that'll be stellar. Oh, totally, totally. Dar's cool, man. Interstellar. Galaxy guy. Isn't that Dar's thing? Yeah, he's like the supernova. That's what it is. Oh, that's what it was from that band that no one's ever heard of. Right, because uh, he has the, I think it was the sh- Champagne Super Leg Lock or something like that. He like has uh, a call. I saw, him, I saw him debut that at Myrtle Beach. Oh, yeah. That's, well, you know, a lot of people in Myrtle Beach debut that move, but... They have Jordan Devlin finally get uh, his big break because I feel like he's been on the cusp of 
kind of, you know, being uh, someone they're really behind. And now that you're behind them, I guess they figured it was time to pull the trigger. But going backwards, before that, we had the show opener, Finn Balor versus uh, slightly more Russian Finn Balor, Dragunov. <laughs> and oh, a match boy. that really, I mean, Finn is just, you know, when he first came back to NXT and he was like, yeah, hey, I'm a heel now, I was just psyched because he wasn't doing that stupid smiling all the time. But he has really just convinced me that he is the man. You know what I mean? Like, it'd be hard to deny Otherwise, and this match was a, a great showcase for him. Uh, I, I'm really into Dragunov and his strangely large rear delts. But in this match, uh, Finn just, even though it, it was technically competitive, there was just never a moment where I felt like Finn didn't have the upper hand. I, I agree with every single thing you just said, especially the delts. But, uh, dude, Finn is just fucking so hard right now. Even it physically... Obviously, Finn is at worst in like ninety-five percent peak, you know, physical shape, and I think he is up to like ninety-eight or ninety-nine again. And it's it's just he's a physical specimen. What, what an amazing opener! But dude, like you said, Dragonoff is so fucking cool. He's such a fresh, modern baby face. His facials are just fucking top notch and the crowd was like shitting on him in the beginning and i was thinking this crowd doesn't watch nxt uk they're here because of nxt and they know about walter so they're excited about that but they don't know about nor care about dragonov and even though bauer is the heel they're gonna cheer him and that's exactly what was happening and i was thinking because you know i'm a little both of us we're familiar with dragonov now a bit we're like i'm thinking he's gonna win them over before the match is over. And I believe that he did. Of course, the crowd was behind Finn Balor because he's fucking Finn Balor. But just an awesome, awesome match. I, this match was way better than it should have been. The The finishing four moves, or you know, the last four moves that Balor does that comprise the finish were so devastating. But yeah, I love this match. Really, really cool and awesome for Dragunov to get another big spotlight on him. Yeah, between this and Cesaro, he's just really showing that he can hang in there with the, the top guys in the, the main roster. I do like that Finn has started doing this uh, combo of after he does the coup de gras, he doesn't even pretend like he's going to go for the pin before he drives your head into the canvas, you know, with that Irish Revolution DDT. So I'm really into that. Yeah, man. Heel Finn is super cool. Yeah, I wonder if he's got a tattoo on his heel like he does on just his hand. And that is something that I do not like. Speaking of things I don't like, Trent Seven's in the next match with his friend and son, Tyler Bate. They are the team known as Malstache Mountain, and they're facing do it two people, Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa. And uh, this match was actually a lot better than, I don't know why I want to say it's better than I thought it was going to be, because <laughs> three of the four people, I think, are incredible. And Trent Seven does his role well in these uh, these tag matches with Tyler Bate, which his role is to take the damage and be pinned. But this match was, I mean, outstanding. And the funny thing is, is that on any other show in any other year, this would probably be like match of the year. And it's, well, like the third best match on the show. <laughs> uh, dude, another one. Just these shows just fucking knock it out of the goddamn park every single time. 
uh, fr- from the very beginning of this match, I knew it would be something, in- or I figured it would be something interesting to really, really awesome. And right away, to me, it's crazy how over Gargano and Ciampa are at all, let alone still. You know, we're kind of old, so the three years that these guys have been in NXT flies right by. They're still kind of new. But for somebody who's not 175 years old, three years is a long time to essentially, they have definitely had a, a story arc and they were together, then they weren't together, then they're back together. But it's a short amount of time and these guys are just, it's a short amount of time to us. But in the grand scheme of things, these guys are NXT stalwarts at this point, but they're still over. I feel like staying so over and getting more and more over over the course of three years in modern wrestling is super, super difficult. Oh, yeah. Dampa at this point is more over than he's... I mean, he's at his peak right this second, I would say. Yeah, totally. I totally agree. The cool thing about them is that it always seems so organic. Like, I could see them feuding next week, and it would totally make sense. It wouldn't seem forced or, or goofy. Because the thing is, too, is that they do maintain those character developments. So they're both, like, clearly insane even though they're like faces now you know they're both like emotionally damaged psychopaths so they could turn on each other at any moment meanwhile emotionally in love with each other in a in a cool way uh mustache mountain they just don't have what it takes to to really step up to this next level of i mean like you said gargano and champa both in kayfabe and in reality are the top stars they're they're on another level than anybody else and so Trent and Tyler just can't can't get the job done. This is a rare moment, too, where they have the respect handshake and hug at the end, and it's fine with me because there really wasn't a story for this match other than, hey, here's two really popular guys versus the two most popular NXT UK guys. You know, so there wasn't some deep-rooted grudge where it, it seemed stupid to, like, hug afterwards, you know, like when they have a blood feud and then everyone's best friends at the end. So I thought that that was cool, too. I did find it interesting that after the match, um, Gargano gets attacked by Finn, and Malstash Mountain helps him out, but uh, old Tommaso is nowhere to be found. Yeah, well, he has a kid and uh, and, and uh, a network special, so he has shit to do. Two more things I want to comment about on this match, or at least see how you felt. I love how this match, the the beginning of it, was all comedy and super lighthearted. But it didn't seem stupid. It seemed proper for these teams at that point, you know, to start off the match. But once it gets competitive, it starts to be super intense for the and for the rest of the match. And it's all like super impressive. And I think that's a testament to how good all four of these guys are, including Seven, who I also hated. But I've really come around on him. And even if I don't love him. I like him, and I, I really, really respect him. I, I get the impression he's a tough guy because he's a fucking punching bag and does his job well. But also, what I wanted to talk to you about, what do you think about when you think about the future for Ciampa and Gargano? Where do you think the the limit is for either of those guys? Well, I think they still ultimately have to have their one big blow-off match to kind of finish up that rivalry. So I think that Champa's got to win back the championship, the Champa Ian ship. Gargano's got to be like, hey, man, you know, we're not done with this. He's got to 
become two-time NXT champion. And then, the, I mean, at that point, there's really nothing left for either one of them to do. Then they got to just suck it up and, and go to the main roster and start having new feuds with those people. The thing about NXT, though, is that it's a constant revolving door of new, huge, awesome stars. So they really could stay in NXT forever and have new, fresh feuds with 100 different people. But I think that, you know, there's a ceiling. They're both above the ceiling. They're standing on top of it. So I think that that's really all they have left to do. Why? Do you have uh, something in mind for them? I could see, theoretically, Gargano also wanting to be NXT forever. But I don't think he's going to be able to stay NXT. At some point, Gargano is going to have to go up to the main roster, in my opinion. The bummer about that is I don't think Gargano is going to translate to the main roster. Now, I don't think that's because he's not capable. I think he's capable. Sky's the limit with that guy, in my opinion. But I don't know how he fits in with main roster politically. He's kind of like, if we go back a a few generations, uh, a Daniel Bryan. But Daniel Bryan, when he first started, there was no NXT like there is now. I'm sure if there was, he would say, fuck it, I'll just stay here, get the WWE money, but stay being able to do my craft the way it is. Before that, you know, a Chris Benoit, Dean Malenko, all those guys, they had a a ceiling in WWE. Granted, Benoit won the title at WrestleMania, and it's this huge feel-good moment, but it, it was fleeting. That was almost like, in my opinion, all right, this is what the fans want, let's give it to them. Okay, we did that, let's take it away and put him in the mid-card until he decides to murder himself and his family. Now, Champa, I think, has a even higher ceiling, even though I said the sky was the limit with uh, Gargano in the main roster. I think Champa has an even higher ceiling or an even higher sky on the main roster than Gargano does. But like I said, it seems like he doesn't want to go there. Or if he does go there, it could turn what may be a six or seven year career left over that he has into a one year career. So. It's just interesting to think about how uh, these two guys could possibly be NXT forever or finally get up to the main roster and kill it or anything in the world can happen with these two guys. The most interesting thing that you said is that Daniel Bryan didn't have an NXT when he was on the first season of it on the Sci-Fi Network. That's No, that's, that's when it was still called Next. That's the most egregious thing. <laughs> tangent, <laughs> stupid tangent I just went on. No, I, I definitely uh, understand where you're coming from. And I, I agree that uh, not just politically, I just don't know if, you know, it's one thing. EC3 and Drew McIntyre, who we'll talk about soon here in a second. We won't be talking about EC3 probably ever again. It doesn't seem like, but uh, Drew McIntyre is somebody who doesn't really work in NXT, even though I know he was the NXT champion. But easily translates into the main roster and can connect with that kind of crowd. Uh, I think Gargano is the inverse of that. I don't, it makes sense that he can connect with this smaller intimate crowd and maybe wouldn't do it on a larger scale, not because uh, he's only capable of connecting with small intimate crowds, but because he's kind of a niche thing. You kind of either already get it or you, I mean, I was the same. I didn't like him when I first saw him. So unless he's going to get that kind of TV time on the main roster to connect. Whereas Champa, you immediately look at that dude and they're like, okay, well, yeah, whatever he's into, I'm, I'm back in it. You know what I mean? He just, uh, there's no explanation or selling point needed for him. Whereas Gargano, I think you'd have even Gargano fans. Like we always talk about NXT New York last year. 
you know, they were booing him when he came out to face Cole. And then they're, of course, cheering and crying with him by the end. But it's uh, a little more difficult to get behind Gargano just without the context. So the next match is Rhea Ripley versus Tony Storm for the NXT Women's Championship. Kind of a, a revisitation, a revisitation, that's a cool word, of a rivalry that they've had for a while. But a little bit of an inverse of the roles. Rhea being the kind of tweener face now and Tony Storm being kind of edging more towards the heel role. Uh, definitely not a bad match by any stretch of the imagination. And again, on any other show, it would probably steal the show, but probably the worst in-ring match of the show. Um, mainly because, you know, I talked about this before, it's a match that we've seen a lot before, and this wasn't the best version of it. Also, with Rhea, you know, she just won the NXT Women's Championship. She beat Shayna, and a cool aspect of that feud was that Shayna is this dominant force that had been more or less undefeated for a long time, other than a short stint with Kyrie. And so that kind of made Rhea the underdog, you know, the rookie coming in trying to take over. Um, and against any other opponent, though, Rhea is, in fact, not an underdog. She's larger than most of them. She's a, a dominating badass. And so when I think you try to position her as this underdog against someone like a Tony Storm, who's physically smaller than her and who she's already beaten before for the NXT Women's UK Championship, it, uh, I don't feel like those dynamics work. But that could be me overanalyzing it or what it's more likely me being is right like i always am every day of my life oh i you are right here it was this match was flat i was underwhelmed the entire time i think the roles that they were in was not proper in my opinion this match shouldn't have been booked because dude tony storm is this up-and-coming babyface that everybody loves whether you even know her or not and Rhea was a heel who turned face and has all this natural groundswell so she's like still on this giant incline of popularity and momentum why are you going to put her in against another face all you're doing is making it confusing for the crowd and it made it confusing for them to work together in my opinion so I didn't think this was either their best match at all, let alone against each other. What I did like is when Rhea puts Tony Storm in one of the leg locks and she's trying to get out of it. So, um, or Tony has Rhea in the leg lock, so she just slaps Tony in the ass. This match was, you know, eh. So that brings us to the main event. Imperium, the huge NXT UK heel faction versus Undisputed Era, the NXT domestic United States of America television network heel faction and these mfs are so good at what they do that they made walter the largest dude in the match the most sympathetic baby face of this whole match <laughs> this match is so well done and incredible it went a little long for me but it never seemed silly with what was happening and why it kept on going it just you know after a while i sometimes i just get a get a little lost in it but you know, immediately Imperium is put at a disadvantage because the hatchet man running under the streets, Alexander Wolf, gets just rocked. <laughs> <laughs> just gets his head kicked off of his body oh, by blasted. Bob Bob Fish and Kyle O'Reilly. And uh, so it becomes a four on three situation. And the, they have this wise strategy of trying to kind of isolate Walter and they're trying to beat down Eichner and Bartell. 
to try to get the pin because they know they're not going to be able to pin Walter. And another expert thing done with this match is Walter and Cole never quite have that much interaction. They have just enough, just like, you know, on last week's, uh, or the week prior to this is NXT, where Walter just chops him and he does a 360 in the air. They have just as much interaction that you want to see that one-on-one so bad, Cole versus Walter, but they don't quite give it to you in here. They they save that for later, and I, I think that's really sick, but I, I love this match, and I, I kind of came into it a little bit indifferent with the heel versus heel thing, as much as I love both factions and, and thought it would be a cool thing to see them, kind of like a Shield versus uh, Wyatt family from a couple years ago. But this match really, really delivered and is one of my matches of the year already in January of the year of the Metal Rat. Yeah, this was fucking crazy. This group of eight guys is just beyond cool and so pro-wrestling. So, you know, this all just fucking worked out. Walter's chops, everybody sells, especially uh, Kyle O'Reilly, sells Walter's chops as if they're fucking dead. As if they just got shot with a rifle in the chest. He just, Kyle O'Reilly especially, just collapses every single time. But, dude, Wolf just getting annihilated blasted as hell i was like holy fuck what happened did he break his shoulder or something and i didn't notice it because in real time he gets kicked and then he lands and then he's on his shoulder a little weird when he uh fish goes to pin him that's why i thought something's wrong with his shoulder then when the ref jumped up i was like oh you know what he fell on his shoulder like that because he was fucking knocked cold by that kick like uh yeah, my man was unconscious, for real. Like, did, did not know what was going on. It took him um, a few minutes to figure out what was going on. They were taking him out, and he still looked all fucking wonked out, almost like uh, the mannequin body when someone's skiing, and they're just fucking flopping down that hill, and someone's videotaping it and sending it to Rob Deerdeck. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. That, that's some ridiculousness, for sure. But yeah, dude, I, I, felt, I felt bad. I was like, oh, this fucking poor guy. But, uh, yeah, man, what what a match. Like you said, making Walter look sympathetic at the end. Like, there has to be some talented people to make that work. Not to mention, not just because he's a, a big, imposing heel, but the beginning of the match was set up to make Walter look like fucking Andre the Giant. And he came across like that. Dude, even O'Reilly doing the the Frankenstein walk to him. And then Walter kicks the shit out of him and then mocks him, mocks O'Reilly, mocking Walter. I thought that was was hilarious. But like you said, the match goes a little long. I think it started to feel long because with the absence of Wolf, it seemed like the last uh, five minutes or so were probably somewhat choreographed. And it seems like they kind of got lost because they were translating from three men, including Wolf, four men, including Wolf, to three men, excluding Wolf. It kind of threw off their spots. That's what it felt like to me, at least. Like, eh, they're not really clicking as much right now. Then once the real finish was coming, they kind of got back on track. But God damn it, I love Walter. Even after acknowledging his his flaws and stuff, um, just such a unique presence right now he's different from every single other person in wwe's entire umbrella as far as i'm concerned right now and uh i was actually a little surprised that imperium won but of course 
I love it. Like you said, looking forward to seeing Walter and Cole. Like, dude, what's that going to be like? What is a Walter versus Adam Cole match going to be like? Yeah, I mean, it's the the smallest dude who with the biggest mouth and ego and confidence versus just this giant monster who has the ability to make you root for him and look at him as an underdog even when he's, <laughs> you know, clearly dominant. So I, I, I just think... Walter is so awesome, and I love that I used to not think he was awesome. I love <laughs> love coming around on people. Even last year at NXT New York when he was facing Pete Dunne, I was like, man, this guy just is whack as hell. He doesn't know how to work, so he just stiffs everybody with the chops and everything. And now I just can't think of anybody better. What do you think the plan is with him? Do you think that they cross-pollinate NXT UK and NXT for possibly a NXT TakeOver WrestleMania Walter versus Cole, title versus title, or something? I think that that there's definitely a possibility of Walter getting a WrestleMania match, but it all depends on what they want to do for, for the TakeOver that weekend as well. I mean, you know, they, you want to give all your top stars to the to the main roster. I mean, Walter already got beat twice in eight minutes right before Survivor Series on Raw, which I know you thought was okay, but it wasn't. So I want to keep him... In NXT UK, where he's nice and protected as much as possible. Dude, I'm, I'm with you because I think the same thing. I think this with a lot of things. This is the same mentality, which is kind of stupid when you like a band and then they sign to a bigger label and you're like, I hope they don't change or that album's not good anymore. It's like, well, is that album actually not good anymore? Or you just don't like them because everybody has the capability of liking them now. Um, I don't know if I'm doing that with Walter or if my concerns of Walter's just getting going to get lost in the shuffle if he ever comes to the main roster is valid. But like everybody is saying, you know, whether it's actually true or not, the presentation is out there that NXT is the third brand. It is developmental in a way, but the performance center is developmental now. And NXT is the third brand. And although NXT UK, we don't always dig on their weekly show, their takeovers are as good as any wrestling show can be. So I don't, like I said, I think of NXT UK as just NXT. So these brands need their stars and their stalwarts. And if Walter is better suited to stick around there forever, then I'm okay with that. I don't, I don't want him to get Braun Strowman or Big Showed. Um, and I don't want him to even get Drew McIntyre. You know, I don't want it to have to be 13 years till Walter gets you know put in the main event picture well i also remember originally when walter signed and showed up in nxt uk he refused to go to nxt domestic because he didn't want to have to leave his home so you know i don't know if things have changed i don't know if that that checkbook can change your mind but uh either way this show was incredible worlds were collided they colluded (laughs) worlds were definitely collode Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I collode when I was watching it. We're all super collode. And that led us right into Sunday's big Royal Rumble, my favorite and most people's favorite event of the year, I would say. You know, it's always fun to watch the Rumble, even if you end up getting a Bo Dallas tattoo as a result of it. Have we ever talked about that on this show? Nope. Let's talk so, about it. So the Royal Rumble tattoo game 2013, often imitated, never duplicated because I refused to do it again. 
you, I, some of our friends and some people that I'll never speak to again in my life all drew a number. <laughs> and whoever came out in the Royal Rumble at that number, you had to get a tattoo of. And so I drew a debuting on national television, Bo Dallas, number 16. <laughs> and I have a Bo Dallas tattoo on my left ankle. And you, who did you get? I forget. Dolph Ziggler. Dolph Ziggler, who was on the opening match of the Royal Rumble when Roman Reigns faced King Corbin for the first time ever in a Falls Count Anywhere match at Minute Maid Park. And I liked a, a couple things about this match. Uh, I, I didn't like many things about it. Number one, that it opened the show. You could have go ahead, went ahead and just gave me the Women's Royal Rumble first, especially since Reigns and Corbin were in the Men's Royal Rumble. Did you really need a separate match where they have a porta potty that somehow doesn't have the blue liquid in it for some reason? Uh, <laughs> but I liked that immediately King Corbin's friends, Dolphin, Bob Rude, remembered that Falls Count Anywhere meant no disqualification, so they jump on the big dog but uh, the other thing that i like is that roman reigns ran down the third baseline to spear king corbin and that makes sense too because you know that's where cheaters get punished is in minute maid park <laughs> how did they not at one point make any cheater joke reference giving out signals they could have even done that with corbin is Cheating, giving out signals to fucking Dolph Ziggler on third base to slide into second base and get shot in the face with Gwen Stefani's diarrhea gun. Yeah, there should have been a new episode of GTV where it's just somebody in the back planning out their Royal Rumble strategy and then somebody getting fined. For those of you that don't know, the Houston Astros a couple of years ago got fined a couple million dollars because they were videotaping their opponents' dugouts so they could learn their hand signals for pitches and stuff like that. Also this year. Did they do it this year? Oh, dude, that's why it's such a big deal. They've been doing it forever. Oh, man, that is cool as hell. But hey, man, you know what? Roman Reigns pinned Baron Corbin on the top of the dugout, and that is fucking cool. I love wrestling shows in a baseball stadium, and not just because I love baseball. But late 70s through mid-80s, the big, big wrestling shows for the regional territories we're in baseball stadiums. So I have a bit of like a nostalgic thing for that, for watching old VHS and, and Ric Flair coming down to the outfield in a fucking helicopter to fight Nikita Koloff for the Great American Bash. Um, and, of course, Bruno San Martino and Larry Zbysko in the cage at Shea Stadium, which also had Hogan and Andre when Andre was the face and Hogan was the heel. Um, all these old baseball stadium shows it was like just a quarter of the seats were accessible and they put some chairs down on the the grass and such but the outfield and the outfield stands were all empty so even though it was in a baseball stadium it was never actually full but it was it's just a really really cool visual in my opinion and like i said it brings up those nostalgia feelings but wwe doing a full baseball stadium. People sitting in the fucking outfield and the ring being, you know, I guess where fucking second pace is. It's just so fucking cool. And it's, it's so sick that two years in a row, Royal Rumble is at a baseball stadium. Royal Rumble at a baseball stadium, WrestleMania 
and fucking football stadiums. That's just that's rad as hell, man. Yeah, maybe the Saudi Arabia shows will be a cricket stadiums from now on. Now, oh, fuck cricket, man. God damn it, I hate that shit. Why? Because it's just so English and corny as hell. It's the biggest sport in India. It is bigger in India than it is in England. Okay, well, I don't mind it in India then. So the Women's Royal Rumble starts off with Alexa Bliss at number one and a star-making performance of a Bianca Fresh Prince of Belair at number two, who just really shines in this. Of course, she doesn't end up winning because uh, of nepotism, but she does win the hearts of many in this match. And probably the coolest part of the whole Rumble is how sick Bianca Belair is. Give me a couple thoughts that you had over the Women's Royal Rumble. I'm not going through every elimination, but give me a couple things that you thought were cool about it. Bianca Belair can lift anything in the world and throw it wherever she wants. Uh, what a fucking star in the making. And I've said this before, but she has absolutely no idea how good she already is, let alone how good she's going to get with more time put into this. Uh, Beth Phoenix bleeding out of the back of her head, where I don't know where that happened, but she looked like Carrie from the back for a little while. <laughs> she cracked her head on the uh, the turnbuckle when... But Belair went to go uh, give her a forearm when she was sitting on top of the turnbuckle. She, like, snapped her head back and cut it open on the turnbuckle. Yeah, so that was fucked up, right? Yeah, man, it was crazy because at first I was like, oh, I think there's a little bit of blood on the back of Beth Phoenix's head. And then she kept staying in the match for, like, 30 more minutes. And then by the end of it, she was now a redhead. She is now Christina Hendricks in the show Good Girls. And that's a very niche reference. But the people that know what I'm talking about, they're going to be popping like crazy. Like, wow, I love watching middle-aged women rob from grocery stores. So oh, Molly uh, Holly? Uh, Molly Holly, yeah. Mighty Molly, actually. Molly Holly was in a different Royal Rumble, but uh, Mighty Molly being in it was a thing. I don't dislike her, but I, <laughs> it, wasn't like, it wasn't as bad as Kelly Kelly, but it was definitely not my, my favorite thing. Um, I definitely did love seeing Shotzi Blackheart in here. I think she's a, a future superstar as well. Uh, Chelsea Green was in this match for what, like 10 seconds? Yeah, maybe. And so I didn't love that. Um, I did realize watching this with people that don't necessarily always watch wrestling that uh, over half of these competitors are just blonde white girls. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, speaking of blonde white girls, you already said Kelly Kelly. When she came out, I was like, Ugh, again? And everybody I was watching it with was like, oh, why? You don't like Kelly Kelly? Come on. She's so so hot, whatever. I was like, whatever, man. She was so hot years ago, and she looks better now than she did around the Women's Evolution pay-per-view. So good for her, you know, looking great. But come on. She comes in the ring and is just still doing all of her Kelly Kelly stuff. Um, so I was just – I was really blah on that. There were some other women they could have put in in her place but i liked a lot of the nxt surprises i guess we call them because they only announced nine women being in this so that leaves 21 you know quote unquote surprises seeing candace larray out there for a little bit was cool chelsea green in and out really quick kind of a, a wide bother but on the other hand hey just get some eyes on her and then people will pay attention hopefully tune into nxt 
and watch her and her Tony Khan looking manager do whatever the fuck it is they're going to do. But someone that I was really excited about, which I never thought I'd be excited about, but just the absence of her and then her showing up, let alone looking how she did when Naomi, Naomi? yeah, oh, when yeah, Naomi man. came out, I was like, Oh, you know what? Fuck yeah. Naomi and everybody I was with, like I said, they, they fucking popped for Naomi. And then even then I was like, I never thought I would say this, but Hey, I'd be okay if Naomi won this. I kept doing that throughout the night. Someone would come out and I'd be like, eh, I'd be cool if this person won this because in my opinion, nowadays, Royal Rumble isn't for solidifying someone's star. It's for making a new star or making sure everybody knows that this man or woman is on their way to, if at not the top, at least the the top of the mid. It's supposed to be the top, obviously. It's going for a fucking title shot at WrestleMania. But, dude, absence definitely is sometimes a wrestler's secret weapon. In not just revitalizing their career, but just revitalizing the spirits around them and making old stories new again. And Naomi definitely needed to take a break. So seeing her was cool. It was a bit of a bummer that she was doing her John Morrison, Kofi Kingston, hey, I'm going to do something crazy to stay in the Rumble. And she was trying to get it to work for about 175 hours. And then at that point, her actual elimination was super anticlimactic. Yeah, I uh, I definitely historically can't stand Naomi, but I really enjoyed seeing her, and you know I really liked the big pop that she got from the live crowd. And I liked the afro and everything. I thought that was I think that gives her a, a more unique look. Um, but yeah, I don't know why she's gonna do this Kofi John Morrison thing when clearly the coolest elimination save was Otis's stomach being a waterbed. <laughs> Dude, how good is Otis and Mandy Rose? It makes no sense. It's so shitty. It totally sucks. Therefore, it is so the best. awesome. The best. It's the best. Um, so it's interesting. You said when people would come out, you'd be like, oh, I'd be okay with this person winning because I legitimately said, and I I love Charlotte Flair. I think she's great. I was like, man, as long as anybody but Charlotte Flair wins this thing. Then oh, be you great. dumb bitch enemy. So I chose Shayna Baszler to win this, but I was hoping for Charlotte to win this. And I guess I, I'm uh, contradicting my last statement, where the yeah. Royal Rumble isn't for solidifying a star, it's for making a new star, where this... Okay, so this is my point of view on this, <clears throat> on Charlotte winning. We all know Charlotte is the go-to woman whenever they need to make a women's angle seem more important, or... Ronda Rousey versus Becky was already super important, but if you, from my point of view, that match was not going to be good at WrestleMania, and not main event quality. On paper, it's main event quality in practice. I don't think it was going to be. So what they do, they put Charlotte in that match, and Charlotte elevated that match. I still don't think that match was stellar, but it was a million times better than I think a one-on-one match between Becky Lynch and Ronda Rousey would have been without her. <clears throat> But Charlotte spent most of 2019 in the mid-card. She even had the title of Time or Five, but it was always a story device. It was never, hey, let's focus around Charlotte. And I think even a little while, you know, early 2019, late 2018, while Becky's on this rise, Charlotte was in the background. So I think, like I've said repeatedly, 
the Becky Charlotte weaving in and out of each other's storylines and, and lives and such. Charlotte saying, fuck this. I'm not a mid-card player. I'm not even just a main event player. I am the top superstar in wrestling. So I'm going to win this fucking Royal Rumble, and then I'm going to win the title at WrestleMania again, and I don't care what anybody thinks, whether you like it, which is great, and if you don't like it, blow yourself away at Home Depot with a saw while you lop your head off. And she goes in there, and it's like, oh, Charlotte, and everybody I was with, for the most part, said the same thing. Eh, I'm so sick of Charlotte. But it's like, sick of her? She hasn't done anything except for essentially lose for the past two years. But at the same time, I do get it. She's always there, so that's why they're sick of her. And she always winds up in the main event. From my point of view, she's there because she has to be there. So her winning this not only got me excited because she's my favorite wrestler, but just because it's, hey, I'm the queen, I'm back, fuck you guys, I'm going to win everything. So I thought she kind of needed this to oh. cement herself as a top level. Well, that's a very funny take, but not funny at all. And I legitimately cannot believe that in 2020, the year of our Lord and Metal Rat, that Santino Morella, dressed as a woman, was a participant in the Royal Rumble. And I just, I couldn't believe it. I can't, I still can't believe it. How about the fact that injured Beth Phoenix stayed in the ring so much longer just so they could do this spot at the end of the match? Yeah, and they were, like, trying to play off, like, hey, remember when Santina Morella also was in a different Royal, not Royal Rumble, but Battle Royal they shouldn't have been in, completely forgetting that Santino Morello was in a romance angle with Beth Phoenix for, like, a really long time. I actually thought it was, like, a funny callback. Well, it wasn't funny. Uh, Lana comes out in her Captain Marvel gear before Tegan Knox comes out in her Captain Marvel gear. And I'm just glad there's finally some WWE superstars who know what the Marvel Cinematic Universe is. But the point is that Mercedes Martinez was also in this. She rules. Tamina was in this because somehow she still has a job. And Santina Morella was. But neither of the Iconics were apparently available for uh, the Royal Rumble. So Yeah, what the, what the fuck, man? What is going on with the Iconics? I assume they're just like, hey, we had nothing for them. So now we're going to wait till the day after WrestleMania. But... Come on. The crowd would have exploded for them. When they come back, I hope that they're planning on coming back as faces because even though they're such great heels, the crowd is going to be so excited when they come back. Almost as excited as I was when the match between Bailey and Lacey Evans was over because that was... Dude, how dead on arrival is the Bailey heel turn? I mean, it just isn't working, right? Uh, it's kind of flat, huh? Just kind of. It's, it's so flat. flat that AJ Styles could use it to teach astronomy. I think Lacey Evans is just. I think Lacey Evans' face turn is worse than Bay. You know what? I don't think Bailey's heel turn is bad. It's just flat. Lacey Evans' face turn is a is fucking. Bad. It's a bomb. It's 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 not working. She's so fucking hateable, and her brat kid is. Oh. Picking her so, nose on camera. And being like, I'm a cat. I'm going to scratch you. Well, you know what? Cats are fucking stupid, and so is your goddamn stupid-ass kid. I don't want to see that shit anymore. Like I said, I don't care that Lacey thinks it's okay to kill people because they have a different political opinion 
than she does. Everything about Lacey Evans makes me fucking hate her. Uh, the end. Be a heel so I could, you know, hate you like I'm supposed to hate you. Just be funny. Hey, yeah. at least well, at least she wore green. What is she? Is it fucking St. Patrick's Day? No, she's just also very green. She's a and she's a mean one, Mr. Grinch. On the other end of the spectrum, Becky Lynch versus Asuka was unsurprisingly great. Nowhere near as great for me as Becky Lynch versus Asuka from last year's Royal Rumble. But, you know, it just shows you when Asuka gets to go in there and do something. Also, it reminds you that Becky can be really great in the ring. I feel like it's been easy to kind of forget that over the last year since her WrestleMania win, you know, with the feuds that she's had to deal with. But Becky and Asuka are perfect for each other for reheating both of both of each other's careers. Both of each other's careers might not be a good sentence, but you know what I mean? Like Becky Lynch is back on top and reestablished, kind of like you incorrectly think Charlotte winning the Royal Rumble does. And Asuka is back being a serious threat to her opponents versus kind of a, a comedy jobber. So I, I thought that this match was really great. Um, the finish was kind of wonky. Like, did, was it supposed to be that Asuka missed it herself by falling backwards? I didn't quite understand that. But uh, either way, I still enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, this match was cool. I didn't enjoy it a lot, but I thought it was cool. I assumed... Well, I didn't assume. But I had an inkling that Asuka was going to win this match and win the title... So that way, Becky would be the underdog going into Mania. And I kind of thought same thing. Maybe it will wind up being Becky versus Charlotte versus Asuka for the title. But I really hope, and I, I'm, I'm sure I'm in the vast minority here, I'm really hoping for a singles Becky versus Charlotte WrestleMania title match. That being said... I don't know how it's going to play out with Charlotte being the chaser of the title to, you know, number one superstar Becky Lynch babyface. That's a bit of an odd build, but who knows? They might not even go that way, but that's kind of what I'm hoping. I, I feel well, like... Well, uh, I'm afraid I've got some breaking news. Get it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's uh, Charlotte versus Rhea at WrestleMania. The word on the streets and the sheets is that Charlotte is going to make an appearance on next television soon and challenge Rhea for the NXT championship. Well, that is really cool and interesting. And man, that'll be one fuck of a match. Yeah, I, I am actually really excited about that. And that's the only thing that has kind of been saving this uh, Royal Rumble victory for me because I was like, God, so I get Charlotte versus one or both of the people that she's already had 100 matches with, but a fresh matchup like versus Rhea and both of them are kind of you know imposing force not kind of they're both imposing forces where um yeah I, I that is something that I that is something that I do like cool man I'm, I'm into that too so the fiend Bray Wyatt defended his Leatherface championship against Daniel Bryan the American Dragon in a strap match but apparently not the kind where you get to touch the four corners which is I maybe called a four corners match. Why did I think a strap match was that you dragged the, your opponent around the ring? In the 90s, that's what you did for the strap matches. Oh, man. That's when wrestling was good, you yeah. know? Yo, I prefer that also. I know that traditionally and modern, the strap match is 
just two motherfuckers with a strap and just do a match. But uh, you know, maybe just because we grew up with touching the four corners, that that's ingrained in our mind and that's cool. And maybe older people think that that's corny. Like old old people don't like never like the blue cage, where my generation thinks the blue cage rocks the fucking house. But either way, I thought this was cool. Yo, we've spoke about this before. Daniel Bryan is the best opponent for The Fiend. The Fiend has... It, it just doesn't work with other people. Those Rollins matches were fucking terrible. Um, it just... Oh, yeah. Like, it just... It, it doesn't work. But with Daniel Bryan, he... He brings out in The Fiend the way I believe The Fiend should, for the most part, have been presented. Not just this fucking guy who takes a million finishers and then all of a sudden is The Undertaker and then he wins. You know, you can put a little bit of that in it, but he still has to fucking work. I, I thought this match was pretty cool. I would not have minded if Daniel Bryan won because The Fiend is... All what I said of the Fiend having a good match, it's still it's a bit stale to me already. So a loss and how does the Fiend recover from that loss is um, is kind of cool to me. That didn't happen. I think that belt is dumb as hell. Oh god, the belt is so bad. But Dantor really likes the belt, so I think I like Dantor. Well, you know what, man, Dantor is cool. Um, the belt probably reminds him of like a helmet album cover or something. So, well, no, it's done by the the horror the horror makeup guy who does a bunch of oh other yeah, shit. I forget and it's into all that juggalo stuff like horror <laughs> movies and Friday the Thirteenth and They Live. But you know, uh, it's not all houses of thousand corpses over here. Okay, this is real life where Daniel Bryan should be winning every match for the rest of his life until his macaroni and cheese neck snaps in half again. I read a, uh, a theory that the reason Daniel Bryan suggested they do a strap match is so he could convince the producers to not use the red light because he wanted the strap marks on, on his back to show up and that they wouldn't in the red light. That is fucking really cool. Everybody commented on that. Oh, no red light? I'm like, dude, awesome. Enough of that shit. That sucks. Great idea. Really cool to try something different. And especially right out of the box with the fiend, add something totally, totally new, but not not always new. Best there is. <laughs> <laughs> so that brings us to the main event, the Men's Royal Rumble, which was a, a tale of two rumbles, if you will. There was the first half of the Royal Rumble, which is the Brock Lesnar half, the the Infinity War, if you will, and there was the second half of the Royal Rumble, which is the Drew McIntyre half the black panther no uh the the end game it is the end of the game <laughs> the, the game is over jumanji's dice has been rolled and so a lot of people hated the way that this first half of this rumble went where brock lesnar just was eliminating everybody one by one but i absolutely loved it and there's a couple things that i really loved about it one it told the, the whole rumble from start to finish tells a story Brock Lesnar is impenetrable. So you have a chance to make two stars here, somebody that's going to eliminate him and somebody that's going to win the match. Now, unfortunately, in my eyes, it ended up being the same person, but one could argue that it had to be the same person. So I'm not yeah. super upset about that. But 
what I really love that they did is commentary really put over. They're like, yeah, why would Brock Lesnar ever show up to work instead of once every couple months? Because look at what happens when he does. He just can beat everybody easily. And I love that that was a plot point that they addressed and also made logical that it immediately was like, oh, yeah, you know what? It's true. Why, why is he going to? What, he's going to show up to beat up Elias? Like, what is he going to, you know, why, why is he going to be on Monday Night Raw every week? Him just running out of the ring at full speed and beating up Elias for singing sassy songs about him is so sick. Um, what are some more reactions? When Keith Lee comes out and he goes, oh, that's a big boy. That, that <laughs> pops me really hard. Um, and, you know, so there's different moments here that are, are so great, man. You, you, uh, you have... Um, Braun come out and you think that him and, and Rey Mysterio are going to be able to uh, you know eliminate Brock Lesnar you have the moment where it's uh, what three on one with Big E and who are the other people that Big E Kofi, kind of, Kofi. and uh, oh yeah you have Kofi come out you think maybe he's going to avenge his loss of the championship and uh, every time Anybody gets any offense in, and then he ends up eliminating them. It just kind of sucks the air out of the room, and it's such a great feeling. And when finally, and then you have Ricochet come out, and you're like, well, Ricochet ain't going to do anything. He just got punked out. And they do a brilliant little piece of callback, which Bain Roster rarely does. So when they do do it, it just makes it so much rewarding that a couple weeks ago, Ricochet came out to confront Brock Lesnar, and Brock just kicked him in the balls and walked away, which is what you should do whenever Ricochet's coming anywhere. <laughs> you to be honest with you. <laughs> Boing. Uh, Ricochet comes out, kicks Lesnar in the balls, and then one Claymore kick later, Brock is flipping backwards over the top rope, and it's just this huge moment before the, the end of the Rumble even comes. So I just, I loved this Rumble, man. Um, you know, then of course you have the emotional return of Edge, where he's clearly just overwhelmed by getting to come back to this thing he thought he had to retire from. Oh, the best, the absolute best. Um, you have the couldn't care less return of MVP. What was Chris Masters busy this weekend? You had to get MVP to come do his catchphrase from a Jim Jones song from 2005. I don't, yeah. I don't agree with that at all. Well, I was excited about it. Everybody I was with was excited about it. I thought the crowd was psyched about it too. No? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, Bobby, don't you know? They would have popped just as hard for Tyler Rex, okay? So don't even pretend like MVP matters. And then to really, as a personal disrespect to me, the next night out on Raw, he comes out with a, the Punisher logo on his gear. So I have Yeah, I don't no know why he needed a uh, the Punisher logo on well, his Well, I guess gear. the thing is, is that nobody else in the company ever dresses up like Marvel superhero characters. So he was uh, like, you know, take this opportunity. That makes sense. But what were other things that you liked about the Rumble now that I rambled on about it for 15 minutes? Well, like you said, Elias coming out, when Lesnar chases him, it's legitimately scary. And not just because Lesnar is Lesnar. Lesnar tripping when he jumps out of the ring isn't like, oh, look at that dumb asshole who trips. It's this motherfucker wants to kill this guy. So he tripped. And uh, the way Elias dodges him, he is legitimately terrified. And by legitimately, I mean he's figuratively terrified because he's acting. But just so excellently done. And then Brock is pounding him with the UFC-style hammer fist. I was like, dude, this is fucked up. But 
How about when Lesnar does the kickboxer dance halfway through the (laughs) spell? He did a lot of funny shit, just straight up dancing a few times. And like you said, his interaction with Keith Lee. But man, Edge's interaction with Randy Orton I thought was so fucking funny. Randy Orton telling him that he looks good with abs and all this shit. But not only that, just Edge's return. That was a holy fuck moment for me. Like you said, a lot of people didn't like the first half of the Rumble, and I understood what they were doing. But after six or seven people, I was like, come on, they got to you know, add a little bit of action. And Bill Ryan, unabashed WWE full-time employee, says, just wait, this is awesome. Just wait, not that he knew anything, but you know, because he's a wrestling fan, and he knew like exactly what happened. For every single participant that Lesnar eliminated, the further they go, the bigger the pop is going to be once he gets eliminated. And the false hope of Kofi, and then the false hope of Braun and Ray, it just built more and more and more. And then, like you said, of course, McIntyre, the guy who goes on to win it, eliminating Lesnar, boom, sets up the story right there. It was already kind of teed up. But there was the the fucking catalyst. And Lesnar coming to the ring and going eye-to-eye with Lesnar. McIntyre coming to the ring going eye-to-eye with Lesnar. It's so great that they spent those couple of seconds doing that. So you you could see, in my opinion, that's the passing of the torch. Lesnar is the Hulk Hogan to Royal Rumble 90. And McIntyre is the ultimate warrior. The two guys are in. They're both huge superstars, but one guy is on the way down. One guy's on the way up. Granted, Hogan won that and Warrior didn't and vice versa here. But it just, in my opinion, this whole thing solidified. A, nobody looks looks bad getting eliminated by Lesnar. Of course, people are like, oh, you know, he throws out Morrison right away. It's such a jobber thing. No, it's not. Who wouldn't get thrown out? Braun Strowman got thrown out, and it, all, it made perfect sense. It's not because any of those guys are shitty, but it's because... Brock Lesnar is fucking legendary Brock Lesnar. So it solidifies Brock as still just being this fucking undeniable monster. But then, two, it puts McIntyre in that amazing position. Then we'll see over the next coming weeks, I'm sure, on WWE TV, that all the story and all the backstory behind McIntyre looking for his his opportunity, not even his push or, you know, his last ditch effort, but he finally a fucking major opportunity. But dude, he looks better than he's ever looked. But this rumble is, is probably one of my favorites of all time already. It was that good. Um, Royal Rumble is always fun. Like you said, it's the most fun pay-per-view of the year. And the two Royal Rumble matches are, without uh, going into it from the start, you know you're going to have a good time watching it and you you anticipate it. But this one, like you said, it told at bare minimum two great solid stories and it sets up more going forward. But everything about this Rumble I thought was damn near perfect. Whoever sat down and, and wrote this out in their book and every single wrestler involved in it. It was just, it was fucking perfect. 
everybody filled their role perfectly. Even the even a guy like Eric Rowan, who comes in and ducks a clothesline, throws a punch, and then gets clotheslined over the top in fucking three seconds. Perfect. It was he played his role perfectly. Um, the fall guy, Roman Reigns. God, what a fucking trooper that guy is. And it's ironic that. You know, Reigns is kind of one of the top baby faces in the company, even if, you know, some people don't like him. And a lot of times, a lot of people don't like him. But he's this, as of right now, still undeniable baby face. And every year they use him to get eliminated by another baby face to get that baby face more over. But um, you got to do what you got to do. And like I said, Roman Reigns... Um, the final two guys of the rumble the other guy always gets the other title shot anyway so i'm assuming they're going bray wyatt or fiend versus roman reigns for wrestlemania anyway yeah it'll be a triple threat match bray wyatt and the fiend versus roman reigns oh did i say bray wyatt versus the fiend no but oh. that'd be cool or yeah, if that's, that's rabbit was... maybe tagged with oh the... dude roman reigns rambling rabbit just all the alliteration yeah, can you imagine Ramblin' Rabbit coming down to the ring with that Slipknot belt? I can imagine Ramblin' Rabbit coming down to the ring with a, a cool flak jacket. Oh, I, eh. Oh, okay. No, uh, picture it for a second. I don't think you're really picturing it. Well, sounds like uh, Marco Stun and Dean Ambrose mixed together. No, Ramblin' Rabbit is the fucking man. Man, Ramblin' Rabbit could definitely kick Marco Stun's ass. And that being said... That is going to do it for this episode of the Stiff Shots Podcast. We are officially on the road to WrestleMania, and both of our cars don't work, so it should be a bumpy ride. We'll be talking to you next week about who knows what, maybe some hard times, maybe some power but we'll definitely be talking, and Rick will probably still be sniffling. So until then, please remember, forever now and nevermore, that Rockstar rules. No monster. Bye. with their fucking corny ass drummer who looked like a mix between um uh what the fuck is that that goddamn show um you could cut out this dead air what's no, that sh- what's that show with that guy who likes Bret Hart but him and his three friends like drink beer and fucking hey man I don't know anything he has a big afro and it's like college guy show the simpsons no, it's not animated. It's fucking real life. Some skinny twerp that I hate, but he likes wrestling, so that's kind of cool. Is it uh, a reality? Like a sitcom? A sitcom-ish, jackass-ish, but it's like 2010, 2013 type of show. Motherfucker, what's the name of this goddamn show? What is the name of this show? I think it was on Spike TV. The League? No, but it's like of that same era, but it's like younger guys. Dude, if I remember the show, you're going to have like a, a reaction to it. I don't know what that reaction is <laughs> going to be. There's three guys and they're like idiots and they do dumb shit. Impractical or the. Oh, man. What's, it's, what's, it's not impractical jokers. You're thinking of the same show I'm thinking. What's Trailer of. Park Boys? Oh, no, it's not that either. Oh. It's a scripted show. Is Trailer Park Boys not scripted? I think Trailer Park Boys is like Jackass only in Australia. It might not be. I don't I don't fucking know. I don't shop at Spencer Gifts anymore. Oh, uh, it's something like Slackers or something Slackers or it's not Crank Yankers, but it reminds me of Crank Yankers.